Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I'm your host, Keisha Reeves. I'm a licensed professional counselor with a group practice here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I specialize in women as well as maternal mental health. Here on the podcast, we'll talk about womanhood, motherhood, and a little bit of everything in between. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a quick chat with me. And now a word from one of our sponsors. Hello, this is Rose Horton. I am the founder and CEO of Antonian Grace. We are a company that provides nurse navigators, doulas, and lactation consultants for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. This company was created because the BIPOC community does not feel listened to or heard in healthcare. It is also important to call out that we are three to four times more likely to die in childbirth. Visit us at AntoniaAndGrace.com to see how we support sacred and joyful births. All right, guys, we are officially four days away from the Push Through Mama Summit, which is going down this Saturday, September 18th from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. I wanted to take a quick second to tell you a little bit about our speakers. Our keynote speaker is Julia Are, who is a self-proclaimed badass and an award-winning transformational leader. She has demonstrated history of championing access, equity, and inclusion, and she has developed in support of effective programs and initiatives addressing the needs of individuals from historically marginalized and underserved backgrounds. If you've heard our previous Women's International um, Month episodes, you will hear Julia speak, so we're super excited about her. She has an undergraduate degree in sociology as well as a master's in public administration. She is a member of the Delta Sigma Theta sorority and the Junior League of Douglas County. So, we can't wait about to hear everything that she has to say. The next person that we have is Stepha Lafon. Um, Stepha is doing a session on reclaiming your freedom. Um, Stepha is a life coach and mentor dedicated to helping moms navigate the space between who they are and who they're still becoming. As a mom of two young children, she knows firsthand the struggles of juggling the demands of motherhood, career, and life. So we're so excited about her. And she's also been on our episode called Matrescent. So if you go back, you can listen more about Stefa. And then our next person is Timika Cheek. Um, I did an IG live with her and posted to one of our episodes. Tamika is a licensed professional counselor that is a down-to-earth millennial who specializes in helping women develop healthier relationships with themselves and others. Tamika is going to be talking about positive self-image and self-esteem and how you see yourself, your self-worth and your self-love and how sometimes that can manifest itself into depression and, and anxiety. So can't look forward. Cannot wait for her session as well. And then the last person um, that we've talked about is Octavia Lang. Octavia is going to be doing our sound bath meditations. They're going to be at the beginning and at the end of the summit. She is certified sound therapist, certified Reiki master, mindfulness coach, and life changer. Um, So she'll be great with setting the mood of the summit as well as wrapping it up and sending us out on our way. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, how come? It's this Saturday. Get them now. We have just a few left and use the promo code PUSH to get $10 off. I will see you Saturday. Now let's get into the show. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the Push Through Podcast. I am so excited to have my next guest, Nishay Moore. Before she says anything, I want to do like an introduction for her. Um, She is a wife and mother, and she's also a veteran. She's an advocate for holistic um, maturation for young women. She's in mental health and just does all of this great maternity work. And she also went to North Carolina A&T, which I didn't know that until recently. Aggie Price. <laughs> and then um, you're like the third person that I know that, that will know. I know like five people that have gone. But anyway. And um, she's also received her master's in clinical rehabilitation counseling from Mercer University. And I'm so grateful to have her on the show. Hello, Nishé. Hey, hey. How are you? I am good. How are you? 
Thugging it out in motherland. <laughs> <laughs> she she's um she's breastfeeding while we're recording the the show. Everybody <laughs> doing what moms do, multitasking. You know how it is. <laughs> so I I gave like your your formal background, but tell the audience a little bit more about you. Uh, originally from Philadelphia, so if you don't pick up a super southern draw, that's why. Um, I've been back in Georgia about five years um, and it's been awesome. So I went to school to help people with invisible disabilities. So the mental health arena, the stuff you can't see, the stuff that people learn how to cope with and kind of deal with on their own. And it wasn't until after I had children that I realized how big mental health plays in motherhood, Mm -hmm. how many of us have stuff going on before we have kids and then the hormonal roller coaster of kids turns it into stuff that you can't avoid. Mm-hmm. So that kind of that, that kind of steered my uh Yes sir, it's not about you though. <laughs> it kind of steered my uh my my focus towards black women and and how we manifest our motherhood role on top of the on top of the mental health mm-hmm. dynamic. Um I'm sure all of us between college and workforce have talked to somebody who had one story about their crazy mama. And I hate that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely cannot stand. I, it is my goal, my mission to dispel the stigma of the crazy black mother. Because if you really talk to them, you know, once they get old and stop caring, they will tell you how much was going on. And in our world, we're like, wow, you were anxious or depressed or you were dealing with repressed trauma. And it's like you weren't crazy. And I think watching women do that makes you more sensitive to it Mm -hmm. so that is where i'm at every day i have so much more empathy and patience for women when i encounter them everywhere because you never know who had to deal with the ear infection all night right (laughs) absolutely yes before we started recording the episode we were just talking about how this rsv situation is just out of control in daycare and spending time in CHOA with little ones and just all of that. So for sure, stress affects your mental health and how you show up as a mother and it can be a challenge. Um, So you are a mother of two. How had you always thought that you would be a mom or was that something that you stumbled into? Girl, no, (laughs) I am the oldest of five. So Uh, And then I'm 35. My youngest sibling just turned 21 in January. Mm. So there was a huge part of my teenage life where I could have had my last two siblings. They could have been my children Mm. Um, because I knew people in high school who had kids at that point. So there was a lot of diaper changing and bottle making and grab your sister from daycare before you go to practice type of make sure they do their homework, signing papers and documents. And that kind of when it's forced on you, it, it definitely left a foul taste in my mouth about motherhood. Yeah. So no, I was not, I never had baby fever. Ah. <laughs> it was not on any vision board prior to. Um, but my husband always wanted kids. He was actually um, starting the adoption process when we met. Mm. So he's always been into kids uh, somewhere along the Western patriarchal structure. I felt like as a good wife, I'll give him one kid. (laughs) (laughs) And it turned out to be something I didn't even know I needed. Motherhood is totally different than helping my parents raise their kids. Mm, I can imagine. It's different when it's your own kids versus your your younger siblings. Totally different. Yeah, that's different. So what what was it like during your first pregnancy? Pretty magical. So very interestingly... When I found out I was pregnant, I had to have a real, real sister girl moment with myself, a real Issa in the mirror mm. conversation with myself, mm-hmm. because we, we, the people I know um, are told, don't get pregnant. It's going to slow your plans down. It's hard to do. And so you spend a good portion of your 20s or prior to having children, making sure you're hitting lists so it's not... Uh, excessively difficult Mm -hmm. so when i looked up and i had i was pregnant i i had to run down the list you're financially stable you have a job Mm. you have a roof to put over their head and you have transportation to get them back and forth for whatever reason and i had to tell myself that because i was scared i was 
like undone. Oh no, I'm <laughs> pregnant. <laughs> and it was my first time ever being pregnant. So it was a it was a, a bit of a, a trip. And then the first appointment, I fell in love. They were like, here it is, here's the heartbeat. And it was a magical experience from there. I love every part of it. I had no bad experience. I had no oh, morning good. sickness oh, with my nice. first pregnancy. Nice. I had no feet swelling, no nose spreading, no discoloration. I had nothing. It was just like, here you are, growing a baby, and then have the baby. Mm. It was a wonderful experience with my first son. That's awesome. What was labor and delivery like? Traumatic. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's that trade-off. Sometimes it's like, okay, the pregnancy is going to be nice, but we're going to catch up with you at labor and delivery sometime. And that's exactly what happened. So, uh, you never know, and it's hard to explain until it happens. Mm -hmm. So the day before I went into labor, I, I told my mom that it felt like if I wasn't pregnant that I was having like an upset stomach. Mm. I couldn't eat what I tried to eat. I didn't want. I'm having contractions all day. I have pictures of it. I didn't know what I was looking at. Yeah. So having contractions. About 5 in the morning, I go into labor, and I know this the day we're in that my husband is his heavy day. I don't want to wake him up. For a false alarm so i tough it out for like two hours mm -hmm. i wake him up at eight and i'm like bruh something's happening mm -hmm. we are game time something is happening when we get to the hospital and the interesting part is august 2nd the barometric pressure changed and the hospital i went to every room was filled mm. so they actually checked me to check for dilation to ensure that i could even stay <laughs> because they were going to send me home if I was anything under five centimeters, but I was actually five centimeters. Nice. So the lady told me, literally, yeah. you just earned yourself a bed. Wow. And so I'm thinking, you know, game time, here we go. That's not the case. I got to the hospital at about eight o'clock and I had my son until 9 p.m. that night. Mm -hmm. They had to break my water. Um, it was really hard. I'm a small woman and I have had big babies. My first son was eight pounds uh, 11 ounces, oh. 21 and a half inches long. And so he got stuck on my pelvis. Oh. Uh, the cord was wrapped around his neck three times. Even though he was 40 weeks, he came out and had to go to NICU. I never held my child. So they don't tell you that part. They don't tell you that you can have a full-term pregnancy and still have complications. Yeah. So I'm, I'm talking to women whose babies can fit in the palm of their hand. And they're asking me why my baby's in NICU. And I don't have the information to explain because there, no one's told me anything specifically yet. Mind you, I've got the biggest baby in the NICU. Mm -hmm. So it just looks weird and I can't explain it and it doesn't make sense. Um, uh, he re his oxygen levels came up and everything was fine because he was 40 weeks, but he refused to suck anything. Mm -hmm. And so that's a big deal. They want to make sure your child can suck you know, for nourishment before they release him. So they released mm -hmm. me without him. Mm -hmm. So again, 40 weeks, full term, I'm home. Everybody wants to see the baby and know where the baby is because this is pre-COVID and I have no baby to show. Yeah. I have no story. I don't really understand why I don't have a baby. Once it's explained to me that the cord was around his neck um, and that caused some breathing complications, um, I always had the intention to breastfeed. I didn't realize it was a blessing for me that the women I saw, my aunts, my mother, everybody breastfed. Mm -hmm. It was not taboo in my family. I didn't realize how much of a disparity there was with black women in breastfeeding. Because that's not what I saw. Yeah. So Which is um, good. That's good that it was so the norm within. Blew my mind when I found out because I thought everybody was mm -hmm. doing it. Um, so, of course, in the NICU, they're like, he's not sucking from the pacifier, from the syringe, your colostrum, the formula. He's not taking anything. Mm. As I said, I had every intention of breastfeeding. Can I try? He latched like a champ mm. that day. They allowed me to breastfeed him all day. Um, and then he was released that night. And I think being discharged without my baby kind of disrupted how I intended to do things. Because I was full, I was completely on board with dad is going to do night feedings and dad is going to change diapers and dad is going. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally got my baby in my arms, I didn't let nobody touch him for like two weeks. Mm. Nobody. Every right. time he cried, I jumped right up. I don't need anybody to console him. I don't need anybody to hold him. No, I don't need to pee. I don't need to pee. I just need to sit here and hold this baby that came out my body and went to NICU. So yeah. pretty traumatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's another thing, like what you were saying, people don't tell you about 
how having a baby in the NICU can be traumatic. Like people can have like post-traumatic stress from mm-hmm. having a child and not going home with them. Like how that yeah. can affect you mentally and emotionally. Yeah. And I mean, much like everything else, the comparison between vaginal births and cesareans and breastfeeding and formula, my baby was only in the, in the NICU for four days. Mm. And so when I hear about people who had to spend months mm-hmm. with their child in the NICU and again, the children that could fit in the palm of their hand, I almost feel like telling my, my stories is like, I just want to get on board because in the spectrum of things, it really wasn't as hard as as I've heard some stories, mm-hmm. but it was hard for me. Yeah, you know, forty weeks, my baby's supposed to come out my body and come home. Yeah, and that is not what happened. I spent three nights pumping so that my milk would come in without a baby in the room. I'm pumping and going back to sleep. There's nothing to do after I've gotten the milk out. Mm-hmm. First thing in the morning, I don't care what I'm going to eat. I gotta get back to the hospital type mm-hmm. of thing. So it was definitely an interesting introduction into motherhood. So how was your sanity then? Like when he came home, which understandably so, why you would want to just like hold him and keep him. Um, mm-hmm. How were you doing mentally? Um, it is my nature to, you know, dig my heels in and just handle. Um, as a combat veteran, I was in a relationship with a Marine who had very present signs of PTSD. And it was my distraction. I didn't realize that I had PTSD until that relationship ended and I had more time to focus on me. So I was diagnosed with delayed onset. And I think that's exactly what happened um, with my first pregnancy. I had my baby. Uh, I knew about postpartum depression. I was happy that he was a summer baby so that I could sit outside and take in some natural sunlight to kind of help with those kinds of things. Um, So I I think the traditional fourth trimester, it was just pretty baseline exhaustion. Mm -hmm. Nothing extra, just exhaustion. I was too busy being grateful that my baby was home. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere along, I guess maybe month Four and a half, maybe month five, it came crashing down on me. Mm. There goes the postpartum depression. And I'm predisposed to anxiety. Mm. So that's that hit first. Yeah. And then not being able to figure out, because it looks different than traditional depression and anxiety. Right. When it's connected to the pregnancy, it looks a little bit different. Right. So I'm looking for certain signs. Because that's what I have a degree in. Mm-hmm. And it's not matching. Mm-hmm. So when people are asking me, I'm telling them that I'm fine. I'm just tired. I'm fine. I'm just nervous. I'm going to make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And I had to really look at those things. I mean, even the surveys they give you at the pediatrician kind of didn't, didn't, didn't hit it. Mm-hmm. spark in anything for me. It didn't make any sense. Um, but I started following some moms on Instagram. And their transparency. I was like, oh, oh no, no, that sign is me okay, no, no, I definitely do that. Mm-hmm. And so being honest about my postpartum anxiety, I never wanted to leave the house with my baby is how I was aware of my postpartum depression. Gotcha. Okay. And now for a quick break. Get the help you need from Bump, Birth, Boob, and Beyond. Boober offers classes and on-demand expert care providers in person or virtual. Why Boober? Boober is driven by our mission to transform healthcare experiences and outcomes to expectant parents and new families. When you ask for help, we answer. We have top providers, over 17 years experience matching families to qualified maternal care providers, expert care, care you can trust. Boober professionals are certified, insured, and vetted. Support now. Support that's proven to improve health outcomes in home or virtually. Check Get Boober out at getboober.com. G. Michelle offers two great books that can help you with your self-care needs. Discover your self-care needs and create a routine that works best for you are G. Michelle books. Not sure what your self-care needs are? The Guided Journal. Self-care, self-restore to learn what you need to take care of yourself better. 
Take the guesswork out of figuring out what to write about. Instead, up, self-explore, self-restore. And don't forget about the self-care investment. Having trouble practicing self-care consistently? Check out this jam-packed workbook, The Self-Care Investment, to create consistent and practical habits to make your self-care a daily routine. To find both books, head over to gmichelle.com to start your self-care journey today. And now back to our chat. Okay. And what, what were your supports looking like back then? I know you had your husband. Who else was a part of your village? Uh, my mother and my mother-in-law were available the first week of postpartum. So neither one of them lived close. Um, mm-hmm. And they both stayed with me. So I had meals around the clock. I had uh, the laundry being done. I had the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband's schedule, even then, was still pretty flexible. Uh, but he went back into the office and everybody left and I could call people, but I don't think I did. Mm -hmm. And I think because I naturally present pretty strong and composed. They probably had no idea. I don't think anybody reached out and checked because they Mm -hmm. were like, Shay's pretty vocal. If she's having a problem, she'll say something. Again, me not really noticing that I was having a problem. I didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but my best friend actually has four children. Her last child is two weeks away from my first child. Oh. So August birthdays in tandem. And because she had the experience, uh, she's the one who, who I totally give all the, the acknowledgement to for helping me come out of the fog she was very aggressive about meet me at costco oh. why am i going to costco because you ain't left the house <laughs> so she, i have to get dressed i have to get my child ready i have to pack a baby bag i'm not buying anything it's only two people in my house mm-hmm. but i'm in costco so i have to deal with the crowd and i have to navigate what that looks like in out the car seat do i have the stroller so uh weekly visits to costco from my best friend was the 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 most solid pillar of my oh, support system. <laughs> I love that. That's good. So yeah, experienced mom. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. So at five six months, you recognized that you were experiencing definitely postpartum anxiety. Fortunately, you had the best friend that got you out the house, had you something to do with some socialization. Yeah. How yeah. else were you able to just overcome that rough patch of it? Um, I attribute it to my education. Mm. So, um, and then as a veteran, I am actively in therapy. Mm. So I was able to transition some of my uh, appointments from just talking about military trauma to present issues. So having a therapist absolutely helped. The therapist that I trusted, who was also a mother. Mm. So what I was telling her never sounded foreign. It sounded very familiar to her. So she knew exactly how to address it, even though that wasn't her specialty. Um, And then again, having some awareness of what works for me. Yeah. So um, I did a lot of outsideness. Being outside really, really works for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I joined the YMCA. Mm. The YMCA has a little daycare center in-house. So my first son was allowed to go there for a 30, 40 minute class. Um, Physically, I was not up to par to keep up with the class, but that was a 30, 40 minute break for me to build up my trust, to leave my child somewhere else that I wasn't and to yeah. do something for myself. So the YMCA and and knowing that physical activity works for me, yeah. staying busy works for me, being sedentary absolutely makes it worse. Mm-hmm. So that and having a therapist awesome. absolutely um, helped me bring everything back around. Those are really good, that's good. And that's also like really good that you were so self-aware to rec- I mean, of course, like you said, with your education, uh, you were able to recognize symptoms that seem similar to you and to tap into what you needed to help you get back to a more yeah. healthier state. And it's often, I mean, it's common, you know, like we just don't talk about it and we just don't utilize the resources. And sometimes it can be hard for black women if they don't give themselves the space to give themselves what they need. So that's good that you took a step back to do that for yourself. And when you do it for yourself, you also are doing it for your child and for your overall family. Yes. <laughs> so, okay. Benefits. Yeah. After your first, that's when, um, at least in, from what I observed, you got really into advocacy for motherhood and, um, or for mothers in general. When did the wheels start turning 
on how you can start helping other mothers and, and you starting to create your own stuff? I went to an event for wives and I was the only one there with a baby. <laughs> and so the restaurant they picked, it was super cute, but I was super uncomfortable. Um, I had my big old stroller because I need to carry my baby bag and all the other stuff, my, my apparatus, uh, breastfeeding against the table. It all just was, it was way too much. Um, mind you, I'm able to keep myself very present Again, my coping mechanisms that I've learned through therapy and that I've experienced in um, my journey. So I, I was able to kind of ground myself, but I was like, how many women are dealing with this? Mm -hmm. And, and my, my fabric is advocacy, advocacy um, between female veterans. I, when I got to Georgia, that was my, my space. All the female vets need to go <laughs> to the VA and get their benefits. <laughs> um, I never wanted anybody to have to deal with the things that I dealt with when it came to not knowing. I'm the first in my family to have um, uh, college education. So making sure, oh, he found a toy. <laughs> uh, just uh, making sure that people don't have to struggle unnecessarily is, is a big, big vein for me. And so when I realized I was able to kind of move through it, but how many women weren't able to move through it, how many women didn't have the the accessibility to get a therapist or the insurance or the time off from work. I said, I got to make something. I got to use the skills that I have in the best way possible because I don't practice. I ended up having my baby and being a stay at home. So mm. I never practiced the stuff that I got in school. I just know it works. Right. <laughs> so, um, I decided to invite women to my house. I looked up and there were a bunch of people that I was familiar with who all had children around the same time. So they all had kids within a six month span of my child. And I was like, you guys should come over um, and I'll provide a light brunch. And it was wonderful. Mm. I got such a good turnout and such a good response from that. Uh, there was about uh, 10 women that came over and sat in my basement and it took some of the pressures off of being in public. So. One, they had to leave their house. So this is countering the depression and the anxiety. You got to leave your house to get to mine. Mm -hmm. But once you get to my house, some of the pressures of being in public are not there. So we don't have to go to a restroom that may not have a changing table or only have one changing table that probably hasn't been cleaned in who knows how long. You're in my house that is absolutely disinfected because I also have a baby. You're breastfeeding and everybody else is breastfeeding. So now you don't feel worried about, did you bring your cover up? Is too much of your breast exposed? You're completely in an environment where this is endorsed. Did you forget your wipes? Somebody else got wipes. Mm. Did you forget a spit cloth? Somebody else got it. <laughs> oh, your baby's on finger foods? Here's my Gerber snacks too. It was such a communal situation and I didn't realize how many people wanted that. Yeah. So it actually took off really, really well to the point where our kids grew up and got too big for my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and then the journey became, how do we go from you guys just getting together to come to my house to let's do events. Now it's, how do you do life with your kids? I don't, mm -hmm. I didn't want my motherhood support group to be a group where you learn how to just make time for yourself. I think there are plenty of groups that um, focus on that. But how do you get out, still look cute for mm -hmm. you, mom, but you're out with your kid. So that requires your kid to be cute, too. And that requires you to bring the extra snacks for your kid. And let's do the things with the kids. And yeah. so that turned into the pumpkin patch and the apple orchard. And then at the end of the year, celebrating all of those milestones with a mommy night out. Mm. That's so awesome. Yeah. And it's it was often very like, exciting. Yeah, when you when you create the space, people will come because uh, several people can be aligned with what it is that you need and can identify with that. And it's so nice when you have that support and that community and other people going through it with you as well. I really thought it was going to be something difficult to uh, to to get together, and it wasn't. Um, I ran into a point where I was posting pictures. And women who I didn't know were like, did I miss the invite? How come oh. I don't know about it? And I was like, because I didn't invite publicly. <laughs> I'm just talking about it publicly. And then I felt bad. Like, I don't want anyone to feel like that's their thing. 
and and they don't have access to it because yeah. that's not what we're doing. So it it actually it was it was man, doggone pandemic. I it know. Was good stuff. I know. <laughs> pandemic, right? Right. Things were so different. Um, okay, so I know in our recent conversation, after you had your second, you learned about. Uh, you explain it. It was like a you you are now recovering from surgery. That oh, was man. what you discovered. You discovered it after your second, right? Or your first? Well, no, it was discovered with my first. So when uh, I think it's the viability ultrasound. So they do the heartbeat and then you go in for your first ultrasound. And I believe that's somewhere around eight to 10 weeks where it's actually something that they could find. Uh And so they're checking out all of the lady bits with the ultrasound. And that's when they found the mass on my left ovary. Very interesting. They were very casual about it. Hey, you've got a mass on your ovary. We're going to watch it and see how it's how it's growing with the baby. Make sure it doesn't impact the uterus. Um, and we'll just address it as we go. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Y'all don't seem worried. I won't be worried. Yeah. Um, so with my first pregnancy, in between all of the standard appointments, I actually had to go to maternal fetal uh, for them to monitor the mass Mm -hmm. uh and that's what they consistently referred to it nobody gave it a name it was just a mass and i'm thinking it's something that showed up because your body does all sorts of weird things when you're pregnant with this being my first pregnancy i had been on birth control since i was 15. Mm -hmm. um i went through puberty like everybody else i had maybe two or three solid periods and then i stopped menstruating that's when they found out my testosterone levels are exceedingly high i build muscle really fast i've got all the guy aggression that's usually attributed to their personalities versus ours Uh um so all of those wonderful things were great in my 20s okay (laughs) (laughs) but (laughs) here i am now just off birth control um at 31 Mm -hmm. so that was a good 15 16 years on birth control consistently so who knows you know so i was like all right stuff grows no big deal um after I have the baby, they say, you're going to want to follow up with this after you have your baby and talk about having it removed. And then my baby goes to NICU. Mm. And then I run in the PPD and PPA. And then what mess? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, <laughs> because I, and this is what I'm learning. Some of the pain that I had associated with sex and weight gain and periods, mm. I didn't know it was coming from that. Yeah. So because we're taught to like periods hurt, so deal with it. Right. In certain positions, you're just not built for it, so deal with it. So there's a lot of dismissing of, of pain when it comes to black women. Yeah. So it never occurred to me that, that this mass had anything to do with anything else. It just was. Mm-hmm. When I got pregnant with my second child, was when that ultrasound tech was like, do you know you have a tumor on your left over? Oh no, okay, now it's a tumor. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, they told me about it with my first pregnancy, no big deal. Um, I'm not worried, I'm not in pain. The baby there though? she was like yeah but um i'm gonna you know take some pictures of it and send it to your ob and i'm so grateful um for that sonographer uh, because that was the 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 change in the journey completely that's when the ob that i had with my second child who was not the same ob uh measured the pictures from the first pregnancy to what they saw that time um and it had grown Although it was not hormonally, I mean, uh, it, it was not connected to my hormones. Right. So the hormones from pregnancy did not make it grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the excess of cells that you produce while you're creating life is what made it grow. Mm. So not from my hormones, but my pregnancies definitely contributed. Mm-hmm. Um, it was twice the size from the first picture that they took to the pregnancy, the second pregnancy. Um, and that's when my OB had a real conversation with me. When she received the results, uh, we were at an appointment where she discussed it and said, it is a teratoma. Um, and a teratoma comes from a germ cell. So those are the cells that, again, separate to make other cells on your ovary. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's saying that we've seen this before. 
If you have an issue, we can remove it while you're pregnant. If you don't have an issue, we're going to wait until you're not pregnant anymore. Mm-hmm. We don't want to disrupt the pregnancy if we don't have to. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what What you mean could happen? What, are, <laughs> what am I looking at? Yeah. Uh, the weight of it, because the teratoma is not fluid-based, it has the materials that cells turn into. So my teratoma had muscle, tissue, fat, and hair. Oh, wow. Three centimeters large um, by the end of the pregnancy. Um, And it was heavy. If you have ever seen the picture of an ovary, an ovary is really tiny. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the the tumor is twice the size of the ovary and it's heavy Mm. on it. So the possibility of torsion is what they call it which is pretty much just the weight of it flipping the entire ovary over which twists the fallopian tube which then restricts blood from the uterus to and from um those are the things that you're looking into um when it comes to that you're upset now (laughs) um so that's the primary concern again with it not being liquid there's not as much of a chance of it bursting but the the flipping is the issue so she explained to me that they could remove it while i was still pregnant if they had to but if they didn't have to here are now my options Mm -hmm. if i have a cesarean they'll remove it during the cesarean if i don't have a cesarean we need to schedule a surgery six months postpartum she was very adamant about me not getting pregnant again mm. until they removed it. Mm. She was very adamant about why I needed to have it removed because the weight of it will eventually cause, that's not, that's, it's non-negotiable. It's mm. going to cause torsion and it does not go away on its own. Unlike some of the liquid filled cyst that gotcha. a woman can get. Gotcha. So, okay. I know, Pandemic, right? Pregnancy. Yeah. And the mass yeah. that was really, really dismissed for two years is now a tumor. Cool, no word. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, it was monitored again with the second pregnancy um, up in two. And then I had a vaginal birth. So that meant I had to plan surgery. Gotcha. Okay. What was recovery like? From the surgery? Mm-hmm. Uh... I'm not bragging on myself, but I'm slightly a freak of nature. Hmm. It was really easy. Okay. That's good. Uh, I heal very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm a traditionally healthy person. I don't really get sick. I don't really get colds. Um, so they give you, they want you on bed rest for a week, um, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. But I stopped taking pain meds after two days. Staying hydrated always helps your body rejuvenate itself. So mm. after a week, I was I was ready to get back in the trenches. And so it wasn't until my husband really got upset with me. He was like, you're not supposed to be lifting the baby. You're not supposed to be. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, but I'm fine. And he was like, but this was major surgery. Right. Like major surgery. For real? Yes, it is. A cystectomy an ophorectomy because they took out half of my ovary. That's how large the tumor was. It was encompassing half of my ovary. Wow. And so she left what wasn't bothered and took off what was bothered. Yeah. Is major surgery. That is major surgery. So um, I felt fine, but um, it definitely, it definitely was a, a wake up call. Mm. So then I adorned my advocacy cloak again. (laughs) (laughs) How many women don't know about this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and even with you explaining it to me, it felt like I was listening to a doctor tell me. Like, and I mean, like, of course, like, medically, this has happened to you, but it's obvious that you've asked the questions, you've done the research. You've learned to know the procedures, what was going on, what was happening, what are your options, how to recover. Like you did the footwork to know everything that you need to know. And often, even specifically for black women, in the past, I know that a lot of work has been done with like the statistics with the mortality rate. But in the past, we've kind of been taught whatever a doctor says, you just go along with it. So how, when you first heard about the mass, they made it not seem like that big of a deal. 
They didn't mm -hmm. educate you about what it was, what it means, what are the options, long-term, what could happen. It wasn't until the second set of providers until you really had an inkling of what's going on. Um, and I'm not a shy person. It's a good and bad of my personality. I ask questions. I always have. I was the very annoying child. Why? <laughs> Why? Um, but in full transparency, my first OB was a white woman. She was younger and she hadn't had any kids. Mm. My second OB was a black woman with two kids of her own. Mm. And I think aside from race, I think my OB being a mother it was an, it's just, it's just different. Yeah. It's just different. There's no way to explain it. There's a way that you can talk to somebody who's a mom and they got to be somewhere in the same, you know, at least five years of you because older moms, they don't get it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the same stuff that we had. They're looking at me like you have something that does what for your, mm -hmm. for your breast pump. You got something that does what with a <laughs> hookah. Listen, we have things now. Right, right. So you got to talk to somebody who's, who's, close to being in the trenches with you, but there's an unspoken language. And I think she wanted to ensure that I didn't dismiss it because there's an unnecessary amount of pain that comes along with ignoring physical symptoms. Yes. I was talking to my girlfriend yesterday because she actually had a cyst to rupture this week. Mm. And it's one of those things where black women are being more vocal about needing mental health and they're being more aggressive about seeking that. And I am the biggest cheerleader for that. Mm -hmm. But I still think there is a level of dismissal when it comes to our physical pain. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of pretending that we're not in pain or dismissing the pain that we're in because it's braggable to say that you have a high pain tolerance or it's braggable to say that you can endure a lot. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that came from. And I don't care for it very much. Now, that's not to suggest that some of us don't. I am one of those people who does have a high pain tolerance. And right. I am one of those people who, when I am injured, I do, you know, get my Wolverine on and recover. Really quickly. <laughs> but it's not to suggest that it didn't hurt ever. Right. I'm or that someone should that be. delivery doesn't hurt. Having a baby hurt. Right. And, and <laughs> just because you do have a high tolerance and you have this, this inner strength, it doesn't mean that someone shouldn't still ask you. Absolutely. Or shouldn't see like how you're doing and consistently check in or, Absolutely. you know, any of that. Like you, you still are a human being at the end of it I'm all. I'm still a human being and I'm still a woman. Yeah. And I think as long as we continue to ignore our physical pain and our mental pain, then we're perpetuating that superhuman narrative and it's, it's damaging to mm -hmm. us. And I think a lot of times the only space that we allow ourselves to really be vulnerable is with other women mm -hmm. and so I take a personal responsibility to be a safe space for women mm -hmm. I want you to know that you can actually cry here you mm -hmm. can say it hurt and I'm not gonna say oh girl I had it too it don't hurt that bad yeah. I'll never say right. that to somebody right that can be dismissive wow okay so you've experienced postpartum anxiety, depression, you've had a baby that was in the NICU, you've experienced a, a medical condition as a result of pregnancy. What? <laughs> I mean, like, you, you, you are relatable to many because you've experienced, you know, your own challenges. And, mm -hmm. and with this advocacy, what, what do you want to do next? Like, how, how do you want to continue to uplift and encourage and support so um like i said before i've never been a shy person i've always been a very transparent person i learned very early on that it it dulls the sword of your enemy when you've already told your own story mm. um so i didn't learn until i was a little bit older that the additional benefit to being transparent is somebody else realizes they're not alone because loneliness is is its own battle all by itself um so the more i talk about it the more somebody else is allowed to just as for me with my postpartum symptoms not realizing it seeing other people talk about it allowed me to identify with it yeah um and i just want women to be more aware of what happens with our body because unfortunately unless you want to have a baby, you're trying to have a baby and can't have a baby, or you want to tell somebody you're done having babies, mm -hmm. then our uterus is of concern. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, you go for a pap, 
then make sure you don't have cooties. They send you on your way. You have to request everything else. And even then, it's still a fight to request it because now there's an age standard. Can you please check my breast? No, you're too young for that. Mm -hmm. Can you check this? No, that's really not important. And then don't mess around and have a good pap. Then they tell you you can double the time before you need to have another right. one. Right, you don't have to have one Who, for two why? years now. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's one of those things where I want to make sure that if there's questions someone may have wanted to ask and they're not as carefree as I am, I'll ask the question. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure the question has been asked on your behalf. And if it is a question that's been in your mind, then I'm going to talk about it to hopefully answer that question. And essentially, our bodies are supposed to produce mass amounts of, of different cells when it comes to our uterus and our ovaries. But there's some symptoms attached to the tumors mm -hmm. or the cyst that exceed endometriosis and fibroids. Mm -hmm. There are other things that can be causing other symptoms. Right. For example, my tumor, unbeknownst to me, was causing a fluid buildup in my back. Mm. It's been there for years. Who knew? Mm. The VA sends me to physical therapy for it. I had lower back pain for years and got worse and worse. Who knew? Coming from my tumor, mm, mm, mm. Uh, certain positions in sex, I just thought I wasn't, for me, I'm not that type of girl. Until you have, until you're pregnant, your organs are shifted out of the way, yeah. my tumor is moved, and now that position is like the best position <laughs> ever. Right, right. It's one of those things where I've just never been, I, maybe it's because of the parents I had. If it's to be talked about, I'm going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so that, along with how much I just want women to, to be as free and as comfortable as possible, genuinely. Yeah. If it, if it affected me, it could be affecting you. And if you're not going to talk about it, I will until you pay attention to it. And maybe it'll help you out, too. I love that. That's so good. Okay, so my final question, um, being that you are a stay-at-home mom, for all the stay-at-home moms that are out there, how do you not lose yourself in motherhood? Like, how do you still make room for you? Because being a stay-at-home mom is a job, especially <laughs> during the pandemic, okay? And it, it is... Yeah, the quarantine and the pandemic kind of even oh, plant fields. My <laughs> goodness. How, how do you stay sane? Like, how do you still make room for you? It is an intentional effort, first of all. Mm -hmm. It is not something that just happens. Even the best of partners don't just in just know to accommodate that for you. It is a very it is a very selfish, selfless act mm. to make space for yourself when you're a stay-at-home mom. So for me, having children a little bit later, there was nothing to get lost in because I had already done the work via therapy and life experiences. I knew who I was. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't hard to me to, it wasn't ever an option to be lost in it. It was a matter of still respecting who I was in that. Mm -hmm. I love my children. It's coming from somebody who didn't want children. <laughs> I, I mean, the world stops for them, but I am also very mindful that I can only ever be the version of mom that I want to be for them if I'm taking care of myself. Yeah. So I'm actually doing it for them. I'm taking care of me for them. And then with me being a boy mom two times over, I remember meeting boys' moms. And I remember how they treated me. And that has always been something within me. I'm not treating anybody's daughter ugly mm. because of the esteem I have for my boys. Mm -hmm. However... If they are looking for a partner, I need to be showing them the truest version of myself. Oh, in the yes. that They want to choose a wife like me. Mm -hmm. They got to be choosing true mommy. Right. They can't be choosing the version that I chose to show them to protect them or the version that... No, 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 no. No, no, If they're making a decision based off of me, whether it's to go completely opposite of who I am, or to be closer to who I am, mm -hmm. I got to be authentic in that. Yes. And so 
that has been a driving force for me to make sure that I am responsive to my mental health, responsive to my physical health. I remember my mother telling me with five kids that she didn't go to the dentist for years. Mm. She'd make us appointments and make sure we got there. She didn't take care of herself. Baby, I go to the dentist. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I go to the chiropractor. I go for my eye appointments. Mm-hmm. If I'm making appointments for everybody else, it is intentional to make those appointments for myself. It is intentional to make sure that when I'm planning everybody's birthday, I'm planning mine too. Mm-hmm. It is intentional to make sure that when I'm taking care of everybody's Christmas list, I'm gifting myself too. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm not doing anything for myself that I'm not putting forth the effort to do for them. And I think a lot of stay-at-home moms are waiting for someone to do it for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you see all that I'm doing for the house and the kids and the family. No, baby. If you took charge of the house and the family, you part of the house and the family. Take care of yourself, too. Yes. And there's nothing to be to feel guilty about when it comes to that. And there's nothing to apologize for that. You can only be the maverick in that house for your spouse, extended relatives, and children if you are a sound person. I mean, we've heard the narrative. You can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-hmm. That is, it, it gets no more true than that. You can only give what you have. And if you're not giving it to yourself or fortifying that for yourself, then you're giving a subpar version to everybody else. Mm. And you love them too much for that. Right. So. Right. Preach. You so you can Preach. Take it Amen. Amen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. So what a profound conversation. Thank Thank you you so much for being on. How can people follow you, keep up, see what you're doing? Where do people need to go? On all social media platforms, breathe baby with two Y's. Y chromosome makes you a boy mom. I'm a boy mom two times. That was real deep, right? Breathe baby with two Y's. And it's essentially, it's, it's breathing techniques we learn in therapy as counselors, That's what they tell you when you're bringing life into the world. That's what they tell you when you're in the middle of chaos. Just breathe. And there's so much power in it. And so if you can remember to do that every day, intentionally breathe, then you can find me on all social media. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. Thank you so much for being on the show. I am so, so appreciative for our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to tell women to check their bodies through and through nobody's gonna advocate for you better than you mm. cozy with your